Good morning. How's everyone? Good, good. My name's Eric. If you didn't know me, I'd love to get to know you, answer any questions you might have about our church out in the courtyard. Um, hopefully you had a fun time seeing the kids sing and uh, just be a part of our service. It was a blast having them on campus all week. Uh, just quick, just little background to that is, you know, we teach the Bible to the kids, um, but we also teach them um, to share their faith. And there's uh, two ways we approach that in VBS. One is, you know, locally. How can we make sure people know who Christ is uh, in our own neighborhoods and surroundings? So we uh, were able to try and get backpacks together and school supplies and um, blessing bags for homeless people uh, with the truth in mind that we want them to know Christ, not just be nice to them. And the other part is that we want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. We want it to go out. And so the other thing they did was they helped raise money um, for Bibles and school supplies and, and activities to go to Romania. And so they were able to put together over $3,000 to help that. And so we're very excited about that. Um, our Romania team is going to leave July 20th. They're going to go there. Um, they're going to play with kids. They're going to share the gospel with them. They're going to encourage the believers that are there. Uh, you see that in the New Testament, that Paul is encouraging churches to help churches. Um, just keep them in your prayers. Know that, um, as I've talked with our, our partners, not a lot of churches are sending people. And so it's a really big deal for them to see brothers and sisters in Christ from all over, but on the other side of the globe, coming to love them and encourage them and help them in their mission to proclaim Christ to lost children and to orphans. And so we just want to pray for them and keep them in your hearts and minds. Note July 20th at 7 o'clock um, here out in the grass field. We're going to send them off. So if you want to come and pray, we invite you to do that. And then also, if you want to help send, because not everybody goes, um, I think they're about 60% of where they need to be. And so you can help send them. And we have a table out in the courtyard. And so join me in praying for them as uh, we continue on in our service. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we're so thankful uh, that you speak every language. You know everything and that you know what your children need. And we just pray that you would get our team there safely, uh, that they would have clarity and wisdom as they share the gospel and the good news of Jesus. I uh, pray that they would have great joy and comfort in sharing the gospel. Pray that the, the Christian believers in Romania would be strengthened and affirmed and encouraged, um, that their faith would just grow, seeing that you are a global God who knows all things and who uses all kinds of ways to encourage them and love them. And we just pray as a church, we'd continue to support and pray and uphold uh, everything that's needed for them to do this. We're thankful for a church that's able to send people uh, for your glory and our good. So we just pray you would be with us now as we come in uh, to a time of the text and that we would look at what your word has for us. So we pray for your words and not mine. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter 10. We're gonna finish it out. Um, just a fascinating thing kind of happened last week is there was a lot of feedback you know, and sometimes I'll get shy when people say, I want to talk about the sermon. I'm like, oh, no, here we go, right? And I was actually overwhelmingly positive and um, so positive, I felt like I needed to say something. So uh, I think people get excited when we talk about politics and the government. They're like, oh, finally, pastor. The pastor finally watched the news. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not that. It's not that at all. It's that we're a, a text-driven church. You know, we teach God's word. 
And last week, God's word mentioned the governors and the courts. So we taught about the governors and the courts. And it's not that we don't care about that stuff. Uh, It's not that sometimes we won't take a break and focus on something in our current culture. Um, But we're going to teach through the Bible. And sometimes the Bible will talk about it and we'll talk about it. Um, But I think deeper than that, the reason I'm bringing this up is I know politics is where your heart is wrestling right now. But what you need is God's word, regardless of it talks about politics. What you need every week is God's word to feed your heart and encourage you. Because at the root of what's happening is you're being challenged to pick between your savior and your freedoms and what you've grown up in. And God's word's going to help you choose Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. And sometimes that passage will be about marriage. Sometimes it'll be about giving, serving. It'll be about discipleship. It'll be about missions, all different things. But no matter where we're at in the text, it does apply. And so the reason we're going through this right now is because that's what Matthew 10 tells us to do. And if I can encourage you with anything is this didn't come up because I was smart. We planned Matthew over a year ago. How funny is God that it comes up right when we need it and we're being challenged right when we need it. So this is kind of part two of last week where Jesus is continuing to say, hey, this is what it means to be a disciple. And so he covers three topics. He tells them, hey, you're going to go to war. You need to follow me through the war. There's going to be reward for you at the end of the war, during the war, and through the war. And so what we want to do is be prepared for that. I think I've heard a lot of people say, Eric, I, you know, I read this every year in my Bible reading plan. You always start with Matthew, right? So most of you make it to Matthew chapter 10. And you're like, I just, I didn't know why it was there. And it was confusing. I think the reason so many people are like, wow, this has so much meaning, is we've never really had to view our Christianity uh, in a warlike mentality. You know, we talked a little bit about this last week is, you know, in our culture, in our American culture, it was very postmodern, which means you're allowed to believe whatever you want, right? There is no truth. And so the Christians were allowed to kind of operate in our own space, And it was like, you guys, it's fine if you believe that. Just don't tell us what to do. Just leave us alone. We'll leave you alone. We're both right. But what happened in that postmodern setting is it allowed people to say, hey, what what I believe is right. What I believe is right. And then it grew and it turned into totalitarianism, which we talked about last week, which is you need to agree with us or we're going to hurt you and penalize you. Now, that's kind of new for us. But that problem goes all the way back to Matthew 10 and it's been experienced all throughout the world. Convert or die. Believe us or die. Affirm us or you'll be penalized, beaten, mocked, hated. All kinds of bad things will happen to you. The world will literally try to incentivize you away from Jesus to the point of war. And so this is how Jesus is preparing his disciples to live in that setting. So let's hop in. Let's look right at verse 34. It says, do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth or to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That's a pretty direct sentence, isn't it? It is, okay? Just if, if you're wondering. It's important you realize there, all throughout the Bible, people twist passages They uh, take them out of context. This isn't one of them. This is one they just don't preach. 
Because you can't twist that sentence, can you? Well, by sword, he meant hug, and not peace, he meant peace. And you're like, whoa, that's too big of a stretch. They don't like it because that's not what you want to see. And so people will look at the book of Matthew, go Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, and they'll say, yo, blessed are the peacemakers. We're just here to make earth peaceful. Well, that doesn't make sense or fit the context of verse 34, does it? So why is he saying in Matthew 5, blessed are the peacemakers, and then in Matthew 10, I came to bring war? Because he's saying the peacemaker is the one who helps make peace between God and man. It is your blessing when you help someone realize they're an enemy of God. And unless they repent of their sin, they will not become a child of God. This is why he's saying when you try to help people become a child of God, they will hate you. It'll bring war. And so he's warning them that part of why he came was so that this very war would happen. Now, it's not that God delights in war. It's that God delights in his children sharing about who he is and what he's done. And the effects of that sharing will be war. And so as Christians, we have to understand, you know, what are the biblical categories? How how, how does God talk about himself? How does he talk about us? A good quote to kind of help you think this through um, from William Brackle says this. It says, a peacemaker is continually at war with the devil, the world, his corrupt flesh, with them, he neither desires nor seeks to be at peace. And so the, the, he's, he's drawn it out pretty clear. Look, you're not going to be at peace with the non-Christian. You shouldn't be at peace with your flesh. And you shouldn't be at peace with the devil. And the, why is he saying that? Because I think what you'll see is when we're put in a position to choose between Christ and how the world sees us, There is a desire within all of us to not be looked at as a bigot, mean, an oppressor, um, harsh, insensitive, a disruptor, uh, you know, someone who's trying to push conflict. And so we'll change God, we'll change his word so that we can be at peace with them. And what Brackle's getting at is we're not to be at peace with non-Christians by changing God. And look at Romans 5, the way it explains this. It says, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? This is important. The wrath of God is coming. Who is it coming on? Verse 10, while we were his enemies. The Bible has two categories, children of God, enemies. Children of God, children of Satan. Child of wrath, child of God. Wrath is coming on the enemy. And what we like to do is kind of put this blanket statement out there that God loved the world. God sees two categories, enemies, children. And when his children try to tell the enemies that they need to change, the enemies get mad and the enemies cause war. This is why it's important we have biblical categories. Biblical categories so that we understand things properly. Now, in this text, this is where everyone gets really mad, but it's just what the text says. Verse 35, who is the enemy? Right? For I have come 
Okay, so notice this is why he came. To set man against father and daughter against mother. And then you probably like this part. Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law, right? You're like, I knew that was in the Bible somewhere, right? But it says right here, the enemy. The enemy is the family. Verse 36. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. So he's preparing them. Look, it's not just because last week was, it's not going to just be the government. It's not going to just be the Gentiles. It's not going to just be the Jews. It's not going to just be your boss. It's not going to just be Rome. It's going to be your own family that is going to get angry at you for loving Jesus. And, And it's not just that Jesus is the only way to heaven. It's Jesus and all that he commanded. When you look at Matthew 28, it says, make disciples and teach all that he commanded. And in that process, you're going to teach something that your child or your mother or your mother-in-law or your brother, your aunt or your uncle says, that's the meanest thing I've ever heard. And as a Christian, you're either going to say, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't think God cares who you marry. It's fine. God doesn't care about your abortion. He just wants you to be happy. God could care less if you smoke weed every day and pollute your mind. God, God's a God of love. And they change God and they change his word so they can bring peace within the family. And what does Jesus say about that? Verse 37. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's a pretty direct passage, isn't it? And so what he's warning them, he's like, look, you've seen me calm the storm. You've seen me forgive the sins. You've seen me know the thoughts of men. You've seen me tell the lame to walk. But do you love me so much that you'll be rejected and attacked by your own family? Because if not, you're not worthy to be my disciple. Those are very harsh words, aren't they? But that's what the Christianity is. And when we change God and we leave these things out, we're actually the unloving ones. How unloving is it to tell a non-Christian, God doesn't care about your behavior. He just wants you to be happy. And you're giving permissions to to non-Christians to act in a way that God doesn't like and God said no, and we think that's loving, that's selfish. I'll let you think God, whoever it is you want to think, as long as you're nice to me and we can still be family. As long as that's not hindered, I'll change anything in the book. And it's all under the name of love. The question is, is that loving? The answer is no. That's why I really believe the most loving thing I can do for our church as your pastor is to teach this book as taught so you're not caught off guard, that you never open it up and go, I didn't know God asked me to do that. I didn't know that was the call of being a Christian. See, we want to be peacemakers, yes. 
We want to be peaceable, yes, but never at the expense of Christ and his word. J.C. Ryle puts it well. He says, no doubt, unity and peace are mighty blessings. We ought to seek them, pray for them, and give up everything in order to attain them except truth and a good conscience. But it is an idle dream to suppose that the churches of Christ will enjoy much unity and peace before the millennium comes. See, we've kind of bought into the American church lie that we can just be this peaceful place and everyone's going to love us and cheer us on and it'll be one big kind of Disneyland party. He's saying, no, 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 no. If you're going to preach Christ, Christ crucified, all that he commanded, you will be at war with the world until Christ comes back. And we have to wrap our heads around that. Okay. Now, here's, here's something I want you to catch. If you're at war with someone in your family, and that person's not a Christian, why are we seeking a non-Christian's approval on how our Christianity looks? That's a fair question, isn't it? Why do we want the non-Christian to affirm our Christianity? Who do you want to affirm your Christianity? Jesus. And Jesus is saying, this is how you live as a Christian. This is how you live. Now, the idea of going to war with your children sounds terrible, or even your mother-in-law, that might sound encouraging, but watch this. We do it. You're not going to bring home a C or your world's over. You will go to college. You're not going to miss. We're willing to stand firm in certain areas, aren't we? But what about God's word? What about God's word? This is what the Bible teaches. I know you don't like it. You can even admit you don't like it. But you are his child in his kingdom under his rule, and you accept his way. And your children need to know this, that yes, you love them, but you love Christ more. And if you have to pick between them and Jesus, you're going to pick Jesus. And why am I saying that? So that they're not shocked that when you pick Jesus, that you picked him. Because I would venture to say right now, they'd say, but you've always chosen me. Why do you care now? Why is it so important now? Because you disagree with my life choice? You didn't care about anything else growing up. You just don't like my decision. You see, when you've abdicated biblical leadership and then you try to play biblical leadership, it doesn't go over well. So it's setting the foundation with your family. This is what God teaches. This is what I believe. This is where I'm at. Now, if they want to take it as hatred, that's on them. Do not believe the lie that if I disagree with you, I hate you. And that philosophy, you can never have a friend unless you are exactly identical in every thought, emotion, and decision. That's unobtainable, isn't it? Okay. So do not believe that lie. And when you preach Christ crucified and you share that, it says it'll, it'll essentially start a war. Now, what is the war? So I want you to think about this. Our society is sifted into this kind of mindset. The, the abbreviation would be AEA, -E -A, acknowledge, express, and affirm. 
And so what you do is you try to acknowledge what makes you happy, what drives you in life. And just an example, you might find a man and he's going to tell you, you know what, I'm married and I feel tied down and I feel restricted and I feel oppressed because my wife tells me to do things and she doesn't let me do whatever I want and spend whatever I want. And that, that is oppressive in nature. I'm going to acknowledge I want to be single. Now I'm going to divorce my spouse and express to the world, hey, I'm going to date whoever I want, whenever I want, and do whatever I want. And then the last A, you are to affirm that. And if you won't affirm that in my life, you hate me. This is where the war starts. When we refuse to affirm the unbiblical behaviors of the people in our life that we care about. See, if you're never telling them, hey, that's not what the Bible says. I don't agree with that. Of course, there's no reason for war because you're affirming through silence or sometimes verbally that God doesn't care. See, the war comes when we refuse to affirm. So this is the war he's warning them about. And Jesus' response to them is, hey, there's war. Verse 38, take your cross and follow me. Take your cross and follow me. saying, follow me through this war. This cross that he's talking about, take this cross, it's a sign of humiliation. It's also a sign of rebellion. It's a sign of being a criminal, being cursed. There's many images in the Bible for the cross. But essentially, when you look back to what it was used for, it was to try and persuade you to fall in line with the edicts of the government and the people. So they found a form of torture that was so painful that it would incentivize you to give up whatever you were doing and listen and do exactly what they were telling you. That's totalitarianism, convert or be punished. So it's saying in the following of Jesus, you essentially need to wear a badge that says, I will, I will be mocked, I will be beaten, I will be hated, I will go to war with my family, I will do anything for Jesus and give up anything for Jesus. And there's nothing I won't do for Jesus. He's saying that's the call of the disciple, that you would pick up the cross and you would follow him. Then when he gets to Matthew 28 and he says, going to the end of the earth, teaching all that he commanded. Pick up the cross. You will be mocked, laughed at, made fun of, excluded for believing some of the things that Jesus teaches and tells us. And when we teach that, people are going to feel, oh, you're saying what I'm doing is wrong. You think you're better than me. You think you're smarter than me. And this is what creates the insecurity. And this is what creates the war. So then they lash back. I can't believe you'd be so dumb to think that. I can't believe you'd be so close-minded. I can't believe you'd be so mean. I can't believe you'd be so oppressive. Picking up the cross says, call me all the names. You can't take Jesus away from me. I'm going to walk through that pain. I'm going to walk through that rejection. Essentially, in the following of Jesus, you're going to either be rejected or attacked. And in this passage, he's saying, the rejection and the attack will come from your own family. Okay, now here's the thing. When it comes to following Jesus, we have these crossroads and we have these hard decisions. 
Because at the end of the day, we don't like to look dumb. We like to be liked. We don't want to look as a disruptor, as an oppressor. And so we'll change what God says so that those people will like us, leave us alone, or be friends with us. Now, here's the thing. If you're not willing to look dumb in front of someone you don't know, how are you going to follow Jesus in front of someone you do know? If we're easily frightened when someone says, oh, you believe Jonah was swallowed by a big fish? You're so dumb. Oh, yeah, I don't care what the Bible says. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't say that. If you're going to capitulate, change that fast off that thing, how much worse is it going to be for you when your kids tell you, I think I can marry whoever I want. I think I can pick whatever gender I want. I think that's my body, my choice. I, right? If we're so concerned at even a base level of someone we don't even know, man, this passage should scare you to death because it's going to cause conflict even in your own family. Are you willing to be made fun of and mocked because you believe God created? God created male and female. God created marriage, man and a woman. God says there's a literal hell. God says that you actually punish your children and you actually parent your children, not your, parent, not your children tell you what to do and your children tell you what gender they are. The Bible would actually tell you that's a no. You say, yeah, I actually believe I tell my kid what to do. I actually believe that, what the Bible says. I do believe in a trinity. I don't know how it works, but I believe it. I believe heaven is a real place. I believe Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's picking up the cross. Call me whatever you want. Attack me however you will. Reject me however you will. You see, this is when family is going to start coming in. They say, you're going to take a fine for not putting a flag on your business, for not celebrating a certain day of the month, for, for not uh, affirming a certain bill or ideology. You're going to lose your job. You're going to not take that money. You're going to do jail time. And you're like, of course. Of course, I'm picking up my cross. I'm following Christ. See, that's when the family starts to say, you know, this, this whole Christianity thing, it was fine and it was cute, but now it's costing you. And you're like, absolutely. Because nothing is more worthy of my love and affection than Jesus. See, that's when the gospel becomes real. That's when your Christianity moves from an idea to a reality. It's when you actually take punishment and abuse, whether physical, mental, emotional, through being excluded, sabotaged, undermined, not getting a promotion, losing your license, being evicted from your house, whatever it is, when you start to take those consequences, you are starting to show that your love for Christ outweighs anything and anything in this world. When you're willing to tell people, this is actually what the Bible says, and I know that's hard to hear, and I know you might not like it, but I care about you, and I want you to know what God actually says. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And if you don't believe in Jesus, you're a child of wrath, not a child of God. You're loving them enough to say that, and you love Christ enough to say that. Now, there's some benefits in this following. Okay? I want you to see this. From 38 now, it transitions into 39. It says, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I want you to think about this. Through following Jesus, you actually find 
your life. This is part of the reward, I believe, that we'll get into in verse 40. But I just want you to think about this. Let's go back to our AEA, acknowledging, expressing, and affirming. Essentially, when you're trying to find your life, trying to find your A, acknowledgement, trying to find out what makes me happy. Why am I here? And someone might say, you know, transgender, that's who I am. And then I express it. And then I get affirmation. Well, guess what? He's saying you'll lose your life in that pursuit. Why? Because it will not fulfill you and it will not sustain you. Because you're Your sexual identity, you're more than that. If you get cancer, your sexual identity isn't going to help you. If you think your identity is in your money, I'm rich, I can do what I want, it's not going to cure your cancer. Your sexual identity, your money, your power, it's not going to make your spouse love you, your kids love you. It's not going to cure you of a disease and it's not going to get you to heaven. It's incomplete as an identity. This is why you'll see sometimes a mom send her kids off to college. She's an empty nester. What does she say? I don't know who I am anymore if I'm not a mother. Because you thought your purpose was being a mom. See, but being a mom is just one part of you. So then sometimes what the moms do is they just go throw themselves into something else. And I'm going to go volunteer all of my time. I'm going to go do this project. And and then their identity becomes, and I'm helping people just like I used to. But then that identity doesn't help you when you're looking at heaven and hell, when you're looking at death and life, when you're looking at hatred in your family. See, when you seek to find your life outside of Christ, it always falls short. It always falls short. Then you find a new thing and then you need affirmation and then you get affirmed and you're like, but now what? This is why the second half of it is the reward in following Jesus in losing your life is that you actually find life. What does that mean? That when you find Ephesians 1, that you've been adopted as a child of God, that you are his. That is the identity you need in every situation, that you've been adopted by God through the blood of Jesus as his child. If you die, you go to heaven. If you get cancer, he loves you. He's with you. You're not alone. Your parents hate you. He loves you. Your wife left you, he's with you. That identity is with you wherever you go, in whatever you need, in any and every circumstance. Therefore, you have found life. You have found what you need. You have found an identity. So he's telling them, even though you will go to war and you will lose your family, you will have found the key to life. And that key is Jesus. He is your savior. He is your king. He is your way to heaven. Now he transitions. You go to war. Follow me. Through following me, you will find life. And then in finding life, you will be rewarded. Verse 40. This is what he says. He says, for whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And he walks through some examples. He says, like the prophet, righteous person. So the reward in following Jesus is that you have Jesus, that you find your purpose in life to live for Jesus. Now, this reward idea, there's there's two pieces. Bible doesn't really clarify what the reward is. There's two schools of thought. First school of thought is 
You'll see some verses or passages talk about getting a crown or, or, you know, I'm going to prepare a place for you. So some people will say, I just need a shack in heaven. I don't care about getting a big house. Okay, like you want to go in the back door. It doesn't work like that. But the idea would be that because of what God did through you on earth, somehow you're given like a bigger reward. That's fine if you understand it this way. It really doesn't matter. Why do I say that? That sounds harsh. Because there's no envy, there's no jealousy, and there's no sin in heaven. So you might see someone with a bigger crown or a bigger house, and you're like, cool. Because there's no sin, there's no insecurity, there's no shame, there's no guilt. You see the logic there? Okay. It's just, it just would be and is. It's just there. Okay, so that's fine if you want to take that. I would say maybe it's a both and. I, I think the, the bigger blessing, the reward, is that you have Jesus. That you have Jesus. The blessing is that you have the forgiveness of sins. The blessing is that you have a heavenly father. The blessing is that you have a helper in the Holy Spirit. The reward and the blessing is you have a church family. The, rest, the blessing and reward is that you have God's word to direct, direct you and guide you. That you have a church family. That you have mercy. That you have grace. You have forgiveness of your sins. Heaven is your home. All of these things are your reward. So he says when you receive them like a prophet, you get the reward like a prophet. Well, what does the prophet do? Speaks the word of God from hearing from God. The prophet is blessed with a relationship with God. He says, when you receive my disciple, and you receive what he is saying, your reward is the reward of the prophet that you get to hear from God. You get to talk to God. Jesus as the mediator. What about the righteous person? The righteous person is right with God. Your reward is you get to be right with God. You don't have to be an enemy of God saying, I want to do my way. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. It says, no, no, no. Your reward, your reward is that you are at peace with God. You're a righteous person. So you look through this. Jesus is trying to set them up for the future. He's trying to help them up or help them out and say, look, following me is going to be hard. War is coming. And it's going to be within your own family. You need to follow me and you will be rewarded along the way. Now, here's the other part of this. I don't know if you've had the privilege of doing this, but as you follow Jesus and you get to sit with people in hard circumstances and you get to watch God encourage someone in cancer, you get to watch God uh, help someone who lost their job, you get to see God restore a broken marriage and bring it back together, those are rewards. Those are rewards of seeing Christ work in people's lives seeing people love Christ more than they love the world, seeing hope given to the hopeless. Those are rewards we get to see that we get to be a part of as a Christian. See, but we'll never see those rewards if we're too afraid to love people more than we love Jesus. Because when it comes down to it, we won't hold fast to Christ. We'll change him so that these people will love us. It's unloving to them and it's unloving to Christ. This is why he warns them. Now, I want you to catch this too, that we're going to war, right? He says, you're going to go to war with your family. Verse 39, for whose sake? For Christ's sake. It's for his sake we are doing this. It's not saying, you know what? 
You're going to be rewarded for fighting with your mother-in-law about whose meatloaf tastes better. Right? It's not a reward for who's right about global warming, right to bear arms, Republican, Democrats. No, it's talking about it's talking about Christ and his kingdom and his word and his edicts and his commands, his imperatives. When you are at war for his sake, saying, man, great is your reward. Because you're not even going to show yourself that you love him. You're also showing your family that you love Christ more. And if that puts you in danger, fine. If you lose relationships, fine. And it doesn't mean that you don't shed tears over these things. It doesn't mean that it doesn't wreck you. But it does mean at the end of the day, if you had to choose, you would choose Christ. See, I think this is what's largely wrong in the American church is that we don't teach the passages like these. We just skip over them and go to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, whoever believes. Well, what happens to those who don't believe? And what happens to us when we share with people they should believe? That's what Matthew 10 is there for. And you watch the disciples. This is going to be so informative as they are Jews and they're going to lose their heritage and their family because they're saying the one who hung on a cross is our king. And they couldn't think of anything more embarrassing than having a king hung on a cross. And so they go to war and they fight. And you see the disciples just keep being faithful and faithful and faithful. Good quote by J.C. Ryle. It says, happy is he who thoroughly understands. And this is my goal this morning, that we would thoroughly understand that though Christianity holds out a crown in the end, it brings also a cross on the way. Christians, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared that our love for Jesus is going to cause fights with people you care about. And if we can't stand up to a bunch of people we don't know in the world, how are we going to stand in front of the ones we love and tell them that Christ is our King? And though we love them, we love Christ more and we cannot deny Christ through affirming their sinfulness and affirming their decisions and affirming their lifestyles. We have to be ready for those moments. Some questions for us to think through. Okay. First question. How would you describe your attitude toward unbelieving co-workers and neighbors? And what factors keep you from feeling compassion for them? Essentially, Jesus is sending out the disciples to share with lost people. So when you think of lost people in your life, what's your attitude? You're like, well, that, you know, that's for them. Oh, well, ha ha. Or is your attitude like, I can't tell them about Jesus. They won't like me. If that's your attitude, I would say you don't love them. You love that they love you. And the second you could do something that compromises that love, you pick them loving you versus telling them the truth. What's your attitude towards that lost person? Four, what aspects of being like Christ cause you the most fear and anxiety? That's what's going to be hit on. Wherever that fear or anxiety lies, that's what's going to be pounced on to get you to say, ah, that's too hard, Jesus. That's too hard. 
Essentially, you're trying to identify where in your Bible do you plead with God? I wish this wasn't true. I wish this wasn't true. Because wherever that plea is, is where you're most likely to say it. It doesn't say that. I don't have to listen to that command. I don't have to do that. I can love my kids more than I love Jesus. He'll understand. Wherever that fear is, is it in safety? Is it in family? Is it in finance? Is it in health? Is it in your status in the community? Is it in whatever it is? Whatever it is, it's going to create a conflict and you're going to need to choose. And we need to start now saying, I will choose Christ. Three, in what situations have you been reluctant to confess Christ publicly? I get it. There's certain aspects of Christianity that are embarrassing. But I mean, so is being your kid's parent, right? And you're like, you won't claim me in front of your friends? And they're like, no, you're embarrassing, okay? Guess what? Jesus isn't embarrassing. He's perfect. And even though they don't believe that, why are we so concerned on what they think as a non-Christian about our Christianity? That's a fair question, isn't it? And so it's, it's becoming comfortable with publicly acknowledging the Father. It's what last week talked about. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before the Father. Saying if you're worthy of me, you pick up your cross and you go to war with the world all because you love Jesus. There's going to be things that get in the way. What are those things? And how can you start preparing to overcome those things? Four, when do you try to find your life outside of Jesus? So this is what's very important is you're not a Christian and you're searching for that identity and fulfillment. You're searching for that affirmation. Either it's I am a teacher, firefighter, mom, dad. That's my identity. That's what I do. And then you realize that it doesn't complete you and it doesn't make you whole. And it doesn't help you when health and disease come upon you. It doesn't help you when people hate you and all of a sudden it's incomplete. And then you, all of a sudden you find Christ right? My identity is a child of God. I am a Christian. There's going to be things that tempt you. They say, I know I have Jesus, but I also need that person to like me. I also need that much in my bank account. I also need that title at work. I also need, and you're going to try to find meaning, purpose, value, and support outside of Jesus. And if we're not careful, that'll be the very thing the devil uses to pry us away from Jesus because we're trying to find satisfaction and value, finding our life through things that are not him. That's why it's so important. When you try to find value outside of Christ, you actually lose your life because you become a slave to pursuing the things to make you feel whole and powerful and safe and, and loved and valued. And you become a slave to earning those things and it never, ever fulfills you. It's important that we know what those things are and to say completely centered on Christ. Completely, I'll pick up my cross and I will follow no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, no matter what the cost, I will follow. Because it is through Christ that I do not have to take on the wrath of God. It is through Christ my sins are forgiven. It is through Christ I will go to heaven. He is a beautiful Savior that is worthy of all of our love and commitment. Amen? Let's pray. God, we love you. And we praise you and we thank you. Your word, your word, it tells us. 
It tells us conflict is coming. War is coming. God, it's our deep prayers in this church that we would be faithful, faithful when challenged, when our affections are challenged, when our commitment is challenged, that we would be found faithful. God, that we would uphold your word in any and all circumstances for your glory and for our good, that we would see it as our great reward and great privilege to be your child, to be faithful to all that you have commanded. God, I pray you would help us be faithful, faithful through the storm, faithful through following, all the way to the end. We pray that you would be with us as we celebrate what you've done on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.